You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. All right, this is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Wow. What's up, Kyle? Not. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope, don't even try. I'm going to move oh, right Kyle, through that. Hey. Uh, we are talking today about cosmic <laughs> restoration, but before we get to that, uh, JT English, what was the last video game you played? You know what? Uh, Macy and I were talking about this this past week. I need to talk to you about your expertise about video games because I don't think I've played since like college. I played like, I mean, it was Madden, probably like, I don't know, what would that have been, like 2000 and six maybe 2007 okay. like it's been sure. that long since i put a video game and i kind of want to get back into it and i know that you have Ooh. like zelda oh. queued up right now at home with no your no no sword I'm and so <laughs> <laughs> i'm not i i'm not a zelda player but i am a video <laughs> game player what game are you playing right now i'm playing and this is actually uh, episode thematic that's why i started here i know some of my banter police out there think i just i just slough off here and just talk about whatever mm-hmm. but if you listen closely there's a tie-in i'm playing right now through god of war ragnarok which is the second installment in a new generation of god of war games you play as this guy named kratos greek god of war who has <laughs> a son even. atreus who it turns I out can't is even actually take you seriously Loki, right now. Uh, a son of a yes <laughs> And, uh, yes. And Ragnarok is like the end of that world. So it's like an apocalyptic game. And so they're like moving through the whole story of the game to what they believe to be the end of all things. And it is an incredible story about a father and a son Uh, heading off into the great unknown. It's really JT. I think you would love it. I would, I would be delighted. I will will buy you the, I'll buy you the game. And you can play it. You know what? I think you'd really appreciate the story. Um, uh, I don't know that you would really love all the other things about the video game itself. Oh, definitely. Yeah. A lot of critics have compared it to Pong Pong, and Space Invaders. Yeah. So, but uh, yes, uh, Jen caught on halfway through that uh, illustration that the tie-in is we're talking about cosmic restoration. We're talking about uh, the end of all things. I thought you were going to say Space Invaders. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're done. Hey, it could end that way, guys. We don't know. It really really could. And I'm sure there's somebody out on you. I'm sure there's somebody out there on YouTube claiming that it will right now. Uh, so, but throughout this season, we're exploring the doctrine of salvation. Today, we're looking at cosmic restoration. Now, I, I think if you're if you've been following along so far on the doctrine of salvation, probably everything we've covered so far. If you're generally kind of familiar with Christian beliefs around salvation. You're, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, election, uh, justification, sanctification. Maybe regeneration was something that kind of threw you or glorification. You felt like, oh, I haven't really thought about that. But when you think cosmic restoration, th- this is probably one of the more neglected aspects of the Christian doctrine of salvation, right? Jen, Jen you're shaking your head like, yes. Why do you think that is? I'm not sure why it is other than that, you know, we are hyper-focused on the present. Uh, No, that's not true. A lot of us aren't hyper-focused on the present. I think because Mm -hmm. um, we lack some genre tools for um, the books that contain the information on this. And this is something that has bothered me a lot and uh, is that, you know, there's an entire book at the end of the Bible that a lot of us think that we can't read. Yeah. And it contains some 
mission critical information around, you know, the the last things. But then because we're not really comfortable reading that book and because we don't know how to connect that book to other books of the Bible, we miss a lot of the underpinnings of what what is in that book. Um, and so like, Jesus talks a lot about end things and, and so do the writers of the epistles. And I think we miss it or we think every time we see it, we kind of panic and think, oh, that's that movie I watched yeah, uh, or that book I read. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I do think that there is simultaneously in our culture an obsession with the end of the world and a complete disregard for what the Christian story has to say about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, or just lack there, of understanding. Or a lack of understanding, yeah. Um, so it feels like every movie in some way or another is about the world ending. Mm-hmm. Like I just started HBO's The Last of Us, which is like another apocalyptic genre show. Like, and they can't churn these out fast enough for the audience. Like the audience consumes these things so quickly and they're so hungry for it. And there is constantly, whether it's in video games, movies, or TV shows, uh, novels, certainly. Um, I think about Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I'm a big Cormac McCarthy fan. And there is constantly a an interest in what happens at the end. And the Bible has a lot of things to say about it. And I think that when we really explore it, they're surprising. And a crucial part of that should be categorized under the Christian doctrine of salvation. So JT, like if you were just, we did not come into this. Sometimes I think the audience might think that over here on some Google doc, we have like a shared (laughs) definition of cosmic (laughs) restoration. We don't. We are doing. Well, that's what I'm looking at. What are you guys looking at? <laughs> I hope someone is right now because it's about to get super awkward. <laughs> it's a website I looked up. It's called the Wiki. Oh, Wiki gosh. <laughs> don't say you've never done it. Uh, I, I, I will tell you, I, I have consulted Wikipedia many times on Knowing Faith episodes for dates. I'm terrible with dates. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, the, you know, the Council of Chalcedon was. And then in my head, I'm like. 2004. It's not 2004. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not it. it. like, it's not it. Okay. So JT, if you were going to lob a definition of cosmic restoration, just to get the ball rolling downhill, different from what we've talked about with glorification of the human person mm-hmm. that, you know, the work of salvation is going to kind of crystallize individually with glorification. What is cosmic restoration and, and maybe how is it bigger than what we've explored so far? I'm going to try something a little bit different here that I've been thinking about that I'm really kind of like eager to test this idea out and you guys push back on it, pull on it, whatever. Uh, I want to tie cosmic restoration to Christology. If we think about salvation and the overarching doctrine of salvation uh, being also tied to the person and work of Christ, what he has accomplished and what the Holy Spirit then comes to apply, I think we need to tie this idea of cosmic restoration to what Jesus came to do and what he's coming to do in the future. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the uh, ways that the early church fathers, and I think the Bible itself, begins to think about what Christ came to accomplish, it can be kind of summarized in this basic idea, what Christ doesn't assume, he doesn't save. And so the eternal Son of God comes to assume upon himself a human nature, and that's both body and soul. So he's coming back to restore material things, our bodies, and the whole world, his creation, but also spiritual things. And I think right now in the evangelical world, the conversation around cosmic restoration can, can, can err in one of two ways. And we want to make sure, again, we've talked about this on the podcast before, kind of uh, keeping things out of the ditch. Like there's two errors here, whether Mm -hmm. it's licentiousness or legalism. Here, there could be an error with cosmic restoration of seeing our future hope as only spiritual or seeing it as only physical. 
And since Christ assumes both our physical and spiritual natures, our ultimate hope is that humans, you and I, and I I think about like Revelation chapter 21, both body and soul are going to experience true happiness in God when he comes to restore all things. So cosmic restoration, we shouldn't think of it as the end of the world, but as the true um, telos or end of our delight and happiness in God, where our bodies, our souls are completely restored to delight in who God is and what he's done. Yeah, I like I like what you just did there because I do think that tying it in that way to who Christ is, fully God, fully man, physical, spiritual, who we are as creatures of God, what creation is, I think that is really important because you're right. The spectrum of views on kind of what cosmic restoration is or what it will be, it they do veer into one extreme or the other, either like a hyper-spiritualized or a hyper-materialized vision of the world to come and what God is going to do in the end of all things. And I think by tying it to who Christ is and what he has done in his earthly ministry and in his heavenly session is a crucial part of understanding, no, 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 it's not going to be one or the other. It's not going to be hyper-spiritualized, this ethereal, ghostly kind of thing nor is it going to not be a place of spiritual delight and presence. Can you give like sort of the classic um, stereotypical understandings of those two extremes? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's probably a few ways to give this stereotype, but I mean, Kyle, you and I go back and forth. Like the one, the over the over spiritualized view of the cosmic restoration would be, I just can't wait till I die because then I spiritually, like I'm going to leave all of this physical mm-hmm. uh behind mm-hmm. the material nature of my body like, i should need to really discard uh, part of what god uh, part of my creative uh, created uh, being and leave it behind so that i can go spiritually be with god in heaven it's almost like the hallmark cupid view of es- of eschatology like i just want to go be spiritually playing a harp with with you know jesus in heaven mm-hmm. Uh, and the other side of that would be is actually it's only physical. We need to be reading the news and be thinking about the end of the world. And uh, I think even one of the books that's been helpful for me here is Mike Allen's Grounded in Heaven, where he actually pushes back a little bit on the kind of the N.T. Wright uh, perspective, which if some people are familiar with kind of the nuances in this conversation, N.T. Wright kind of over-materializes, or, or the criticism mm-hmm. of his view would be he over-materializes the view where it actually doesn't matter what happens to our souls. We just can't wait for the physical nature of resurrection from the dead to, yeah. be, to, be, to be brought to life. And so what we want to say is the Bible embraces both of these things and says when we experience death, our, our bodies go into the ground, and that's, that's a tragic thing. That's who we are. Our bodies are there, but spiritually we are in the presence of God, delighting in him. Uh, Christian theologians have called this the beatific vision, that we were made to, uh, to, to have this vision of beauty, of who God is and what he's done, but we're also waiting for the resurrection of the dead. And so anytime we over-spiritualize cosmic restoration or over-materialize it, we run the risk of going into one of these ditches. And what we want to say is, is that God is making all things new, not just our mm-hmm. souls and not just our bodies, but our souls and our bodies. And we will be happy and blessed and joyous in him forever. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. I think the easiest way that I can try to keep those ideas 
next to each other is to think back to Eden. Now, granted, mm-hmm. we don't get mm-hmm. a ton of information on uh, on what it was like to be human in Eden before the fall, uh, but we do get some. And and so when when I'm trying to, if I allow my imagination to consider what will it be like um, to be a human in the New Jerusalem, um, I, I tend to look back and go, well, what was it like in Eden? And and I think that can help at least keep in mind, like, oh, they were they were obviously created body and soul, and they were enjoying mm-hmm. a communion with God mm-hmm. that, that that related to both of those things. Now, obviously, Eden and the New Jerusalem, or maybe not obviously, maybe it needs to be said, Eden and the New Jerusalem are not identical, but they are um, related to one another. The way we understand the new heavens and the new earth relates to our understanding of Eden, right? Yeah. That, that's so. right. Yeah, it, the, with a, with a big difference being that uh, Eden was still susceptible to imperfect desires or mm-hmm. incomplete desires, mm-hmm. meaning that in Eden, Adam and Eve had a will and a soul that was susceptible to sinning. Whereas mm-hmm. in the new heavens and the new earth, like we talked about in glorification, mm-hmm. uh, that will that will be gone forever. There will not be any. Um, volitional capacity to sin or rebel against God. That nature will be removed. Mm-hmm. And so if in the garden, Adam and Eve were able to ju- to choose both righteous or unrighteous things, in the new heavens and the new earth, they will only be able to do that which is righteous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a, that's a big difference when you think about cultivation, because cultivation is where they fail. They were meant to cultivate and subdue the garden, and instead... They were cultivated and subdued by the serpent. Mm -hmm. And in the new heavens, the new earth, that work of cultivation will continue. It just will be free from the capacity to sin. And that will mean that we get to explore and cultivate this new world that God has made, dwelling in God's presence, uh, but will be free from the susceptibility and the frailty of the flesh, which 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 is a big difference in terms of how the new heavens, the new earth function apart from Eden. I I do think that it raises the question, how is cosmic restoration accomplished? Because I do think that this is where there is some degree of, there's a spectrum of views on how cosmic restoration is accomplished. I want to kind of keep us on the main thing here. I don't want us to get buried in the wide spectrum of end times views. There'll be We've done that in the past. There'll be time to do that in the future. But principally, what is the means by which God accomplishes cosmic restoration? Um, I think of Ephesians 1 here. You know, Ephesians 1, which begins, really, I think if you're looking for a passage that just flows the doctrine of salvation as we've covered it from beginning to end, I think you could do a lot worse than Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. But in verse 9, Paul shifts the attention from the individual and God's purpose of salvation of the individual to the cosmic. In verse 9 says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good, good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. Now listen to this. As a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Uh, P.T. O'Brien says, Christ is the one in whom God has chosen to sum up the entire cosmos. And I think that's a good Ephesians. Uh, that's a good description of Ephesians one ten that to bring everything together in Christ, the reconciliation that Christ has accomplished and will accomplish is not merely between us and God, but God and all of creation, all of the cosmos. Right? Is there anything that you'd add to that, JT, Jen? Anything when we think about the, uh, the accomplishing? 
Yeah, I think so. I would add, you know, when when we all become familiar with a guy named Nikolai Scarpathy, uh, who no, I'm just kidding. That's uh, oh god, he's my favorite. He's yeah, my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> who in the world? <laughs> Man, I Martin Scorsese? What? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure somebody's out there making the connection. So no, I, Kyle, I think you're exactly right. I, I would agree with that view. And I think in my experience in pastoral ministry or in teaching this topic in the institute, this can be one of those topics where. I think it, people can feel like there's the most distance between where they actually are in their understanding of the Bible and what we are trying to say here. And there can really be, I think we can help them kind of make some progress and say, okay, w- what are we saying here? A phrase that I've found helpful is when we talk about the end times, we're talking about heaven and earth being one again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that in some form in Eden. But then when you think about the story of Scripture, uh, heaven and earth are colliding in things like uh, the tabernacle, mm-hmm. in the temple. Ultimately, in Christ, this is the first he- Corinthians fifteen. This is the heavenly man who has come to take upon dust on our behalf, heaven and earth colliding. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, uh, in the Apostles' Creed, I think sums this up well: is that from which he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, from which he will come back to judge the living and the dead. Where heaven and earth experience their final and ultimate collisions. Not the right word that makes it sound uh, like they're not meant to be together, but it's it's actually rather than collision, it's a reu- it's a reunification of heaven that's and earth good. being one again, and that's what we see in Christ, and that's all. Also, what we see in the end times is, is it, it really is, if we're simplifying this, it's the presence of God coming back to restore everything that he has made. Mm-hmm. Space invaders. Space invaders, that's right. <laughs> From which he will come back to judge the living and the <laughs> that's dead. That's what I'm choo, saying. Choo, choo, choo. Yeah, visible return, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will not be shooting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kyle, I think you're on mute. I'm, can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. I muted myself, man. Oh. What a dumb, what a boneheaded move. <laughs> we are professionals here, guys. <laughs> yeah, the audience is losing faith in us quickly. It's, that's, Brad, let's call that it in. losing faith instead of knowing faith. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good run, 10 seasons. <laughs> The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com.
So cosmic restoration is accomplished by uh, surprise spoiler Jesus. Uh, right. Jesus accomplishes cosmic restoration. God accomplishes it. The Father accomplishes it in the Son of God, in whom He is summing up the whole of the world. Uh, why should we care about this? Like, isn't all of this going to just burn up? Like, isn't this material world just going to all burn up in a blazing fire? And don't th- we should treat the earth like a motel room or a hotel room, which is like <laughs> not really our home. You know, I think of songs like I'll fly away, you know, uh, I'll fly away. The idea that we're going to escape these mortal bodies. Like, why does God care about the world? Why? Well, why? He, he why? Why? Good. Yeah. 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 Because he's the one who made it. I mean, then some bad stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what God makes, he seeks to redeem and restore. And I know we're all kind of all like leading into this passage that we all would hold hold uh, dearly. But I'm just going to read it for us, if that's okay. Revelation chapter 21, sure. uh, verses 1 through 5 or 6. Uh, John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There's a lot that could be said there. I'm not going to do like a running commentary on all of this, but that really helps us see. This was the chaotic space that the Israelite imagination was. Mm-hmm. The sea was the, the place of chaos. And when so when John says the mm-hmm. sea is no more, he's saying there's no more uh, chaos in the world. There's going to be order to God's creation, and Jesus is coming to bring it. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's what we're talking about when we talk about mm-hmm. cosmic restoration. Is Jesus coming back, making everything new? And even even you you see there, there's a, there's a physicality to this. It's a new yeah. Jerusalem coming down from heaven. There's bodies and tears being wiped away. There's him getting he, us being able to see him face to face, some of us for the first time. I mean, there's there's a real uh, heaven meeting earth, kind of all things becoming one. I think hope captured in that passage that reminds us of our spirituality, reminds us of past brokenness and sinfulness, but also reminds us that our king and his presence is our ultimate hope. And he's one day coming back, not just to bring his kingdom, but to bring his presence with it. Yeah, it's good. It is good. So then, it would be fair to say that the consummation of all things answers well is addressing both the question of Gnosticism and materialism, right? Like we've exactly. used those terms right. before, but those are the two false stories, right? That's that's the way you would mm-hmm. say that, right, JT? The two false yeah, stories that a, would most really inform our misunderstandings of uh, of the consummation of all things, and um, that the story actually speaks to both. Why do you think that we have that persisting theme? Because it's not just, I'll, why you got to hate on I'll Fly Away? What a great song. Um, what's, great song. what's the one, isn't it, what's the one about the earth shall dissolve in, there's another hymn out there. I should know it. I'm letting there's down all my them. hymn people right now. Anyway, but why is that popular idea out there? Is it because it says the whole thing about the old, the old earth, heaven and earth have passed away and the new one have come? 
I think so. I think that's a part of it. I think that that's a, that's a part of it. I think the other part of it is that a lot of the hymns that address heaven in that terminology were written in a time mm-hmm. in which life on earth was far more uncomfortable than it is for us today. There you go. Huh. And I think that we have to, we have to give, like, we have to be honest enough with ourselves to say that much of our life is spent trying to cultivate uh, cosmic restoration on our own terms. Mm-hmm. And we are far more comfortable than our forebearers were um, in our, and far more able, you could say, to at least like manufacture the illusion of heaven on earth now. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that many of the hymn writers of ages past and many of the Christians of ages past were under no illusion that heaven was better than mm-hmm. what we're experiencing now. Mm-hmm. I do think that like while most Christians would check yes to that question on the quiz, like is heaven better than now? I think mm-hmm. most Christians would probably say like yes. We don't live like that. Mm-hmm. We we live like, uh, well, like I kind of like my things. I kind of like my stuff. Mm-hmm. I kind of like my plans. Like I remember um, one time my youth pastor asked me, like I can remember this very clearly. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back tomorrow? And I remember saying yes, but I remember in my head didn't thinking, mean it. <laughs> I really want to get married. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I really, I really would like to get married before heaven comes back. And it was hard for me to believe that heaven is, that heaven was better than the mm-hmm. best plans that I could envision for myself. And yet I know that it is. And so I do think that some of the, Oh, some of the misconstrued beliefs about what God is going to do at the end of all things, what heaven is going to be, what cosmic restoration really is, is a product of our comforts and Mm -hmm. our enjoyment of those comforts now. And Mm -hmm. a product of our having a very, very shallow view of what heaven entails. Like if heaven is a place on earth, one thing I'll often tell people, because I'm surprised that one of the things I hear most often from people about heaven or about maybe their hesitancy around it is there are so many places I want to go and things I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, well, do you not think that those places will be even better in heaven? Mm-hmm. That so much of what you want to do, you'll be able to do in heaven? Mm-hmm. Like, but free from the frailties of the flesh and the impact of sin. Um, My daughter recently told me she wanted to go to Australia before Jesus came back. And I said, where do you think Australia is going to go? And she was like, well, I don't know. And I was like, I bet Australia would still be here. She wants to see the koalas. And I was like, I bet the koalas Mm -hmm. would be in heaven. It's going to be Pangea. It'll be easier to get there. You can walk it instead of having to fly it. Oh, don't don't get me started on the question of travel in the new heavens and the new earth because I, for whatever reason, I'm convinced it's going to be like steampunk style. Like it's going to be like flying boats and steam powered trains. I don't know why I'm convinced. You're playing like, too many video have, games, Kyle. In my head, there's no cars in heaven, but there are trains and like prop planes. I don't know why, but. It's in my head that way. We're going to have boats and trains, but no cars in heaven. I don't know why. Jeff thinks, Jeff is. always says he thinks we're going to be able to time travel. Ooh. We got to keep the two of you apart on this conversation. Oh, man. Me and Jeff should write a book on heaven. <laughs> 
He thinks we're all going to be 33 and we're going to be able to time travel to whatever scene in history we wanted to go to. Wow. That yeah. I could get on board with Jeff's thoughts there. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, the real question, though, that our audience is asking is, JT, and this, and this is where I really want to <laughs> land here, is will there be dinosaurs in heaven? <laughs> <laughs> It depends if the space invaders plant them there for us to be deceived. <laughs> right, exactly, of course. Yeah, there we go. Hey, but this does bring us around to an important thought. You yeah. can tell there are all kinds of creative ways to imagine this. Um, but but if we want to think about what, what what can we take away from like what is going to happen, I think, you know, we, we've already done this already, but just pointing people back to, well, what did the creeds say? Like, what are the things mm-hmm. that people have said for all time on these things? Um, we know he's coming back. We know he's coming back bodily. We know he's going to redeem all things. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's enough. Like, that's enough right. knowledge for us. We Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. We've got plenty to keep us busy um, with our current situations and, and to know that we have a future hope um, and that it's a blessing to meditate on that hope. Because, I mean, that's, you know, I'm spending some time in Revelation right now and the whole purpose of Revelation, or he, he keeps their seven blessings in there, like, it's a it's a blessed hope, yeah, mm-hmm. and the one who knows that it's out there will be blessed, and it helps us to live today well. I think that's right. That's, that's and, and I think related right. to that is is we could, we I'm just gonna say one thing, Kyle. I know we're wrapping up, uh, but like a, a lot of my experience, whether it was in seminary or in pastoring, is people people allow their questions about how or when it's going to happen get in the way of their desire for it to happen, and the Bible, yes. but the Bible's that's primary right. instinct is to is to is to cultivate a, a desire in us to cultivate like a hope, and that's kind of how how mm-hmm. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but that's how Revelation ends is come Lord Jesus like the w- w- when it happens how it happens I'm I don't know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen, but in the midst of the brokenness of the world and the sinfulness of our of ourselves and other and sins against us, our primary hope is to say, come Lord Jesus, make everything new because your kingdom is going to be infinitely better than anything that we build here. That's right. That's, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, um, we've been covering the doctrine of salvation, and this really wraps up our discussion of it for season 10. It's not all that there is to say about the doctrine of salvation, but it is what we're going to cover in this season. I know it's crazy, but there are only a few more episodes left in season 10. We have had a lot of fun. We've gl- we've been glad that you've joined us in it. As we look towards next season, we've got a few ideas that are marinating a little bit for the season 11, the fall season of Knowing Faith. But I would really encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to check out some of our sister shows, go check out Confronting Christianity, Starting Place with Elizabeth Woodson, or the Family Discipleship Podcast. Some really incredible resources over there. And I'm excited. We've been kind of teasing this, and we've we've put it out there a little bit. I think it's leaked out. But In the fall, we are launching our fifth podcast, which is Tiny Theologians. This is a podcast that we're doing in collaboration with Amy Gannett over at Tiny Theologians. They're producing some wonderful resources. And so if you are looking for a podcast that's aimed at kiddos exploring the deep things of God from a kid's perspective, I am really excited about Tiny Theologians and would encourage you to begin to check out what Amy has going on over there and the podcast that's forthcoming this fall. You can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts, I don't know why it helps other people find the show. It's some Engineer Brad has told me it's something that has to do with the algorithm. I am merely relaying to you what Engineer Brad has told me to say, which is that leaving a review over at Apple Podcasts helps other people find the show. Don't ask me how it works. Internet, <laughs> internet fairies. I don't Magic. know. Magic. 
If you're looking for more behind the scenes stuff, or if you want to help us continue to create digital resources like this for the good of the church, you can check out trainingthechurch.com slash support. If you are a church leader and you are interested in thinking through your ministry philosophy and how it can sync up with deep discipleship, go over to trainingthechurch.com. Our applications are open for the fall cohort that Jen, JT, and myself get to run. We have had, uh, I think we're over a hundred churches now come through mm-hmm. the cohort, uh, yeah. or we're, if we're not over a hundred, we're very close to it. And it's not just here; it's around the world. Uh, it's in Australia, it's in Central Europe. It is church plants, replants, mega churches, traditional churches. We have a lot of fun. We learn a lot from the people in the cohort. If you're looking to think through some of our adult ministry philosophy stuff that you've read about in Deep Discipleship or you read Women of the Word and you're like, man, we really want to do women's Bible study here, but we don't know how to make it happen. We think the cohort could be a good next step for church leaders that are interested. We hope that you enjoyed the discussion. We'll see you next time on our next episode, Grace and Peace. 